I'm really looking forward to this morning. My sermon is from Psalm 119. Several years ago, I was captured by the passion for God's word described in this psalm, and this really inspired me to dwell on this section of scripture on a regular basis ever since. The passionate love for God's word being described in this section of scripture is just, it was infectious for me. There is so much rich doctrinal truth to glean from this one psalm. I hope that our time in it this morning will be a blessing to your soul and a catalyst for your own growth and love for God and his word. If you're not familiar with Psalm 119, I just want to start by giving you a general overview of some of the unique characteristics of it. It's been observed that Psalm 119 is longer than any other chapter in the Bible. This is true. In fact, it's longer than many of the books of the Bible. But the Psalms are neither books or chapters of a book. The Psalms are actually a collection of songs and prayers. Psalm 119 is a prayer that is very personal and heartfelt, but like the other Psalms, it's intended to be used in corporate worship. Besides being extremely long, 176 verses to be exact, it's also unique in its style. The Psalm is written as an acrostic, meaning that there are 22 sections representing each letter of the Hebrew alphabet and each section has eight lines or verses, hence 176 verses in total. The first letter of each verse in the first section begins with the first letter of the alphabet, and then the next eight verses, the second letter, and so on. Another way that the psalm is unique is by its intentional focus on the Word of God. There are eight different Hebrew words that are used to refer to God's word in this psalm. They are law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, judgments, word, which is also translated as promise sometimes, and ordinances. At least one of these words is used in almost every verse. The last observation I want to point out is that this psalm also ascribes attributes of God to his word. These attributes are righteousness, trustworthiness, truthfulness, faithfulness, unchangeableness, eternality, light, and purity. In this, we see that God's word is a reflection of God himself. God is a God of order, and this psalm reflects that or order not only in what it says, but in how it says it. It's a beautiful piece of divinely inspired poetry, and as I said, it is rich with doctrinal truths affirming the inerrant, infallible, sufficient Word of God. So full disclosure up front, I am not going to be exegeting the entirety of Psalm 119 this morning. <laughs> When I chose this psalm, I joked that I'm not going to have to choose another psalm for the rest of these sabbaticals because I'll have enough material for the rest of my life. <laughs> I'm not making any promises, but that is a real option. The hardest part of preaching on this psalm really is deciding what to leave out. My goal this morning is to unpack the first three verses and then to use references from the rest of the psalm. Hopefully, I'll be able to show that what the psalmist is doing with this psalm is that he is actually stating a thesis in the first three verses. And then he proves it, or at least models it, with the remaining 173 verses. So before we dive in, let's just pray again. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that by your word we may truly know you. I pray that you would use my mouth to speak truthfully from your word this morning. We pray this in accordance with the will of Christ. Amen. So normally, I would read the entire passage, in this case, the entire psalm. But because it's so long, I'm only going to read it once. And rather than reading it now, 
I want to read it at the end of the sermon in hopes that you'll really be blessed by seeing it in the context of our time together. Also, I'm sorry, there's not going to be any slides this morning. So if you want to read along as I'm reading from the psalm, I would suggest you have a Bible open and ready. Uh, there's some in the back. If you didn't bring one this morning, you can borrow one of those. Um, either that or just take notes, write down the, the, the references and, and look at them later. So if you haven't already, open up to Psalm 119 and let's look at verses 1 through 3. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. As I said, that is the thesis or the truth that is being acknowledged and praised throughout Psalm 119. If you're taking notes, I've tried to lay out my sermon in three main parts. First, what does it mean to be blessed? Second, how is this blessing experienced? And finally, how do we secure this blessing? So first, what does it mean to be blessed? I've really always thought of the word blessed to mean rewarded, like to be blessed is to be given a reward, to be given a good thing. So my mind would translate a passage of scripture like this or like the Beatitudes along the lines of those who work hard to be blameless will be given a good reward. Those who keep his testimonies will be given a good reward. That's not entirely wrong, but it tends to cause one to think wrongly about the nature of the good reward and how it is obtained. The definition of the word blessed is simply happy or favored, to enjoy a favorable status. That's it. To be blessed is to be happy. I love it when some of you sincerely answer the question, how are you doing, by saying with a big smile, I'm blessed. That's true of every Christian, but we're not always enjoying it as we should. It doesn't mean that you don't ever experience sadness or pain, but that your faith in God's favor towards you transcends your immediate circumstances. It's not about having earned something. It's about acknowledging your state of being. In the context of these verses, it's not that this person has grueled through the effort of keeping God's law and then in the end has been rewarded with a blessing. It's that this person has discovered that the way to experience blessing or happiness is by keeping God's law. The blessing does not simply come from obedience to God's law. The blessing is in the obedience to God's law. Psalm 119, verse 56, this blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. So what the psalmist is saying in verse 1 is that those who are blameless or not guilty of practicing sin, those who walk in the law of the Lord, those who are doers of the word and not hearers only, are happy people. Happiness is experienced by those who love the Lord, who seek him with their whole heart, who desire him, and who know him through obedience to his word. See the parallelism in these verses. Verse 1, blessed are those whose way is blameless. This is parallel to who walk in the law of the Lord. So to be blameless is to walk in the law of the Lord. If you walk in the law of the Lord, you will be blameless. Guilt and wrongdoing is transgression of God's law. Sin transgression of the law of God is the cause of all the pain and misery in the universe. True happiness is found where there is no sin, where there is no transgression of God's law. We'll come back to that later. But for now, let's look at verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. This is parallel to who seek him 
with their whole heart, keeping his testimonies and seeking him wholeheartedly are the same blessing. They go together. Keeping his testimonies is not just keeping a Bible on my bookshelf. Keeping his testimonies is, first of all, knowing them or having them. But beyond that, it's holding on to them by faith. It's keeping faith. And most of all, it's keeping them when it matters most, when it's time to act. All sin is an act of unbelief. That unbelief may be rooted in ignorance or rebellion, but the consequences remain the same. For example, I might know and believe very well what God says in Matthew 5.22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. I can know that truth and believe that that is God's will for me. But when I choose to remain angry at my brother, I'm choosing to disbelieve. I am foolishly denying what I know. I'm not keeping the faith. I'm not maintaining my belief when it matters most. Even though I might actually believe God's word, in that moment that I sin, I'm not truly believing. My faith is doing me no good at that moment because it is not being put into action. I'm willfully rebelling against God's clearly understood command, and I'm doing so to my own harm. When I choose to rebel against God's word, I'm forfeiting the blessing that comes from keeping it. Even if my sin is due to ignorance, I'm still missing out on the blessing that comes from keeping God's law. As finite, created beings, we like to think of ignorance as a form of innocence. We tend to think that if we break the law in ignorance, it should be not really counted against us. The fact is that it doesn't matter why we transgress the law. The law has still been broken, and the consequences will remain the same. If we break the law of gravity by jumping off a cliff or falling off a cliff, we're going to reap the consequences, whether it was intentional or not. If we respect the law of gravity, we will enjoy the benefit of not floating away into oblivion. When it comes to the law of God, ignorance will not protect us from the consequences of breaking it. Ezekiel 45, 18 through 20, really quick, God is laying out some of the, some of the ceremonial laws for Israel. He says, Thus says the Lord God, in the first month, on the first day of the month, you shall take a bull from the herd without blemish and purify the sanctuary. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering and put it on the doorpost of the temple, the four corners of the ledge of the altar, and the post of the gate of the inner court. You shall do the same on the seventh day of the month for anyone who has sinned through error or ignorance. So you shall make atonement for the temple. Sins of ignorance still result in death. The reason we think less of sins committed in ignorance than sins committed in rebellion is because rebellion itself is an egregious sin. It's added on top of whatever other sin has been committed. If we would avoid the consequences of breaking God's law, we must know his law. We must be diligent in seeking to know and understand all that he has said to us in his word. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Keeping God's testimonies is parallel with seeking God wholeheartedly. Those who seek God with their whole heart are those who keep his testimonies. Those who want to find God, who want to know God and experience the pleasure of his presence, do so by keeping his testimonies. You cannot know God apart 
from keeping his word. We can know enough about God from creation to know that we are condemned for all the ways that we fall short of his glory. The laws of nature can point us to the fact that there is a God who created everything, but the laws of nature do not explain him to us. Those who claim to be seeking God and then attempt to explain him based on what nature alone has revealed prove not only how little they know of God, but also how little they actually want to know of God. They're not keeping his testimony shows that whatever seeking of him they're doing is not with their whole heart. They have no desire to learn of a God whose holiness would consume them if they were to enter his presence. And that's really the only thing that they can know of God based on nature alone. This is why the word of God is so good. This is why the psalmist came up with 176 verses to proclaim why he loves the word of God. Because by God's word, we can know that there is a way to be reconciled with God. We can know how it is possible for someone who has violated God's holy and perfect law to stand in the presence of his holiness and not be consumed by it, but to actually glory in it. It is only by God's word that we can truly know what it means to be blessed, to know true happiness. Apart from God's word, we're ignorant of what it means to be happy or blessed or to understand what will make us happy or blessed. Happiness is something that all people desire. If you were to ask a hundred people what makes them happy, you'd likely get a hundred different answers. But if you ask a hundred people if they want to be happy, they would all have to say yes or they would be lying. Even people who seem to be utterly content in their misery and in the misery of others are still seeking what will make them happy or at least what they think will make them happy. Everyone wants to be blessed. The reason you would get a hundred different answers as to what makes a person happy is that happiness is directly related to our desires. Happiness comes from having our desires fulfilled, or so we think. A better way to say it would really be that we desire what we think will make us happy. Different people have different desires, and people's desires change. You might hear, if I were rich, I'd be happy. If I were a great athlete, I'd be happy. If I were prettier or more popular, I'd be happy. If my government were just and righteous, if I had a wife or a husband who loved me the way I want to be loved, or if my kids were all healthy and prosperous, or, or if my kids all loved the Lord, I would be happy. These things are obviously not all bad. Some of them are really good desires. The problem is in our believing that our happiness can be satisfied by having these desires fulfilled. We may achieve temporary happiness, but anyone who has ever been made happy by any of these kinds of things knows they are quite temporary. The happiness they bring is not lasting enough or good enough to keep us in a state of happiness. They will all fail to meet our expectations at some point. I don't have to prove this point to anyone. We have all experienced the fading of what once made us happy and no longer does. When left to ourselves and our own desires, we will continue to foolishly pursue happiness in things that ultimately lead to death. We are desperate to learn of what will make us happy from the one who created us, the one who designed us to be made happy by what makes him happy. We must be taught by him. Psalm 119, verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. God is the only one who is truly blessed, eternally happy and unchanged by any circumstance in creation. That is a concept that we're in 
capable of even understanding. We need to remain humble in our pursuit of God and acknowledge our desperate need for his help. Academic discipline is not enough for us to know and understand God and his word. This leads to my second point. How do we experience this blessing? The blessing that comes from righteousness has both temporal and eternal implications, meaning that there are ways we can experience the blessing of verses 1 through 3 right away as an immediate result of our obedience. And then there are eternal implications of righteousness that we're looking forward to. It's easy for us to look at the world around us and wring our hands at all of the sin and evil that makes life so hard and think, we will only know the blessing in the future after we've left this world. It's true that it will be infinitely better in the new creation. But what I want us to see is that there is an immediate blessing to be experienced now. The biggest reason for missing it is that we're often more convinced that the sin of others is the main cause for our unhappiness. Rather than humbly recognizing that our own unhappiness has much more to do with our own sin than the sin of others. We're easily aware of how other sin makes us unhappy, but our own sin is deceptive. If we want to learn how to enjoy a practical experience of living righteously, the first thing that we have to do is to ask for it. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7 through 8, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. We have good reason to ask for God to help us understand and keep his word. That is his will. He promises to give it to us. As you begin to pray for that, which is in accordance to God's word, you will grow in your confidence that he will answer and give you the desire of your heart. We must prayerfully yearn for his help and trust him to answer. Hear the psalmist in verse 169. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Verse 27. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Verse 33 and 34. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. The psalmist is revealing that even though he knows enough of God's word to competently write down inspired truths about the word of God, he's still utterly dependent upon God in order to understand it and keep it. The understanding that's being asked for is the ability to act wisely. It's not the knowledge of what God's commands are. It's the experience of knowing what God's commands do when they are kept. He's experienced it, but he knows that he's unable to experience more without God's help and favor. One of the most important aspects of prayer is that it puts us in tune with God. It reminds us, first of all, that he's with us. It's very hard, if not impossible, to pray to God sincerely and then simultaneously be apathetic to his commandments. Along with prayer, we're called to meditate on his word. This is not simply an addition to praying. It's really meant to be a part of our praying. We see this modeled throughout this psalm, not just in this psalm, but in all the psalms. The prayer of Psalm 119 is also a meditation a delighting in God's word. Verses 14 and 15. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. 
Verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. The psalmist's love for God's word is dripping from this psalm. The authenticity of his desire is inspiring to read. Imagine how much time he spent pondering his thoughts of God's word to write this psalm. When I was studying this psalm, I came across a quote from a book by David Pallison where he says, Psalm 119 is actually not about the topic of getting scripture into your life. Instead, it is the honest words that erupt when what God says gets into you. It's not an exhortation to Bible study. It's an outcry of faith. Psalm 119 is the thoughtful outcry that arises when real life meets real God, unquote. What we see is not instruction to meditate on God's word. It's the fruit of meditation on God's word. The more you meditate on God's word, the more you will want to meditate on God's word. You cultivate the desire by feeding the desire. The desire might be very small as you begin, but the more you feed it, the more it will grow. One of the theories about why the psalmist used an acrostic style poem, which is considered by some to be simplistic or even childish, was to make the psalm easier to remember and rehearse, even for children. That might seem like an excessive amount of discipline, especially for our day. But it wasn't so uncommon for previous generations. Prior to the 15th century, most people were forced by necessity to memorize writings if they wanted repeated access to them. I've heard that many of the Puritans were known for having memorized all 176 verses of this psalm. Memorization is an important tool in helping us to meditate on God's word all the day. But it's not the same thing as meditating on God's word. The meditation that being spoken of here is careful and diligent thought that is rooted in a desire for greater understanding. Listen to verses 98 through 100. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Again, we're talking about wisdom the application of understanding and knowledge. It's not just that your commandment is ever with me or that your testimonies are my meditation, but also that I keep your precepts. All three components are vital if we want to know the blessings that are spoken of in verses one through three. And the first part is to have the commandment ever with us. God's word is objective truth written down and preserved for all eternity. We must not stray from God's word. There are many who claim to know and love God who have abandoned his word. What many of them claim is that we can know God more truly through meditation apart from his word. And we've seen the sad demise of those who have moved their foundation off of the infallible, inerrant, and sufficient word of God. Their ignorance and lack of understanding has caused them to be bored by God's word. They want signs and wonders. They want to be excited by the supernatural. They want the truth to be subjective to their own whims and desires, not spelled out clearly in unchanging black and white. With the word of God as our ever-present and firm foundation, we're able to meditate on the truth of God's word and not be led astray by our own fleshly imagination. Our fleshly tendency is to think of our normal daily activity as being mostly mundane and irrelevant to our pursuit of holiness. The purpose of meditating on the law of God all day is to transform our fleshly thinking to where nothing we do or say 
is without a mind to how we are walking in step with God's revealed will. Romans 8, verses 5 through 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The Apostle Paul teaches in Romans 7 that we're waging a spiritual battle that takes place in our minds and affects our members, our bodies. The thing that we need to understand is that when we are not engaged in the battle, we're losing the battle. We do not have to actively set our minds on the flesh. It is our natural default. Our flesh is waging war against our desire to kill it and to walk in obedience to the Spirit of God. Quickly, I want to remind you that the battle we are waging is not a battle for our salvation. The rest of Romans chapter 8 is arguably the most beautiful exposition of the gospel of salvation by grace through faith in all of Scripture. Our salvation is secured for us by Christ's perfect record of righteousness, not our own. The battle that we are waging as Christians is a fight for our sanctification. It's not a fight for spiritual life. We already have that. It's a fight for spiritual maturity. God in his perfect wisdom has ordained that as his children, we would grow and learn obedience, even as Christ did. If you want to quickly turn to Hebrews 5, I'm going to read verses 7 through 14. Keep your place in Psalm 119. We'll be back there for the rest of the time. But Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 14. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order, order of Melchizedek. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Those who do not engage in the fight for growth and maturity will remain stunted in their growth. They'll be like babies who never grow to enjoy all that life has to offer because they're content being bottle fed their entire lives. We all love babies, but let's be honest. They don't do much other than lie there and look cute. But a baby who is still a baby at 10 years old isn't even cute anymore. A baby who never grows up not only remains entirely dependent on someone else to keep them alive, but they will never get to experience all that life has to offer, all of the benefits of growing up. This passage that we just read in Hebrews is followed by a warning against apostasy, against falling away from the faith. The author wants his readers to know the danger of being disinterested in spiritual growth. That is a valid warning. But in keeping with my point, I want to focus on the fact that it is possible for a Christian to be immature for a longer period of time than they should. And as long as the Christian remains immature, they will miss out on the immediate blessings 
available of spirit that come from spiritual maturity and righteous living. They will likely struggle with sin in ways that continue to reap consequences for their own life and for the lives of others who are affected by their sin. And being spiritually immature, it will take them much longer to learn the lesson from their sin. They'll be more likely to despair in their misery rather than rejoicing in their suffering, knowing that God has a plan for all. Suffering is a part of the Christian life for the mature and the immature. The difference that maturity, wisdom, and understanding makes is in how we get through those experiences. In verse 67, the psalmist says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And in verse 71, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The psalmist has asked God to teach him and give him understanding. And here he is reflecting back on how God has answered that prayer at times through affliction. Suffering is never enjoyable. If our suffering is caused by someone else's sin, we tend to think of it as being unfair, as in the case of Job. And if our suffering is due to our own sin, we're tempted to think that we've somehow ruined our lives forever and there's no way to ever be free of the shame in this life. It doesn't matter where our affliction comes from. If we are a child of God, we can trust that God is using it in order that we might grow in knowledge of him and in his great love for us. Verse 50, he says, This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. Meditating on God's word not only helps us grow in our understanding, but as we grow in our understanding, our faith is also strengthened. Many Bible translations use the word word rather than promise, as we saw in verse 50 here. The Hebrew word is more precisely translated as utterance or speech. So word might be a more exact uh, translation, but I like the ESV use of the word promise because it conveys the certainty that God will do all that he says. God doesn't need to attach a promise to his word for it to be as good as a promise. When we meditate on God's word, we're being reminded of all that God has done and all that he will do. Another important component of meditation is that we're thinking about our own ways in light of God's word. We need to let the word of God evaluate our thoughts and our actions so that we can repent and grow as needed. In verse 59, he says, when I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. This is the point of our meditation, that we would turn our feet in action. Our thoughts upon God's word are not meant to stay locked up in our minds. As we think deeply about God's word, we should also be thinking about how we are going to apply it specifically to our own lives. We can't just make a commitment to be a better person. That's a good goal, but it's very hard to measure. We need to think specifically about our ways and turn our feet in such a way that we can identify how we are walking in line with God's word. Look with me again at verses 98 through 100. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Having God's word as our ever-present foundation and meditating on it daily are vital to our growth. But if we do not actually obey, it is all for naught. Our knowledge does us no good if we don't actually put it to work. Wisdom is not just knowing what to do. It's doing what you know to be wise. You may know and believe that there is a blessing in following God's word, but if you aren't moved to action, you'll never get to actually experience the blessing. And the, the final point or question that I want to answer is, how do we secure 
the blessing? And the short answer is we don't. True blessing is to be given the undeserved favor of God. This blessing does not come from anything that we have done or could even possibly do. This is a blessing that is given freely by God without regard to a person's worthiness. I said at the beginning that true happiness is found where there is no sin, where there is no transgression of God's law. The problem is that according to God's word, we are all born dead in our sin. We are born with a sin nature and we desire only sin when in that nature. Left to ourselves, we have no chance of ever knowing the blessing of obedience to God's word. The only way we can ever know the happiness of a world without sin is to trust in the only one without sin. Jesus, the Son of God, came down out of heaven and entered this sin-sick world as a human baby who would live his entire life in perfect obedience to every word of God. He is the only one who has ever earned the name blessed. And yet he set aside that blessing and received the curse for sin that belongs to those he came to save. He experienced suffering that we will never know in order that we could experience the blessing that only he has ever deserved. Most unbelievers recognize the benefits to them and society of not murdering or stealing. But God makes it clear that even certain kinds of compliance to God's law is not counted as righteousness, but as sin, because it's not done in obedience to Christ, but in service to sin. It's not done out of a love for God and his word, but it's done in a sinful expression of self-reliance, self-reign, and self-love. You may think you know what it is to be blessed by God, but if you have not obeyed the gospel, if you haven't repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus alone, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of judgment. All of your self-righteous works will not save you. They will condemn you. The wrath of God is the just penalty for sin. But the free gift of God is the blessing of eternal life through faith in his son. If God is stirring you under repentance and faith, praise God. God's word tells us that even our repentance is not a work that we do, but it is the evidence that God has done a work in our hearts that we could never or would never do on our own. If God is calling you to repentance this morning, let someone know. We want nothing more than to help you begin a new walk with Jesus as your Savior and Lord, to know him and all the blessings of being united to him. To you, church, I pray that you would be encouraged and inspired by the blessing of God's word, that you would grow in your knowledge of God and his word, that the truth of the gospel and of who you are as a favored child of the king would cause you to have a growing experience of the immediate blessing of practicing righteousness, that you would love God's law and know the beauty of all his ways, trusting all of his word as the means to true happiness. Hear the words of this blessed psalm now and make them your own. Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. 
With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my ear to your testimonies and not the selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. <clears throat> I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. 
Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart, I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes, that I may not be put to shame. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life, that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your promise that I may live, and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up that I may be safe, 
and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love, O Lord. According to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies. For all my ways are before you. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. 
My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Let's pray. Lord, let these words be the meditation of our hearts. Thank you for the perfect blessing of your son. Thank you that his righteousness has made us eternally favored by you. Help us to long for a deeper understanding of your word and a greater desire to walk in line with it. Help us to be the blessing to others that you have called us to be by living lives that reflect your son. Thank you that you hear our prayers and promise to answer them according to your will. We ask and pray it all in the name of our only Savior, Jesus. Amen.